First Peter chapter one. So we sing a song that's, I mean, so powerful and talking about the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so, how do we know? You know, how do you know that it's finished? How do you really know it? I mean, Jesus said it, and so that you know that that should be enough, of course. Um, last Sunday was Easter Sunday, and. Christians all around the world celebrate how we know that it really is finished. So Jesus said it, and the Father raised him from the dead. He didn't raise himself from the dead. The Father raised him from the dead. That is his seal of approval. That is God saying there really is nothing left to atone for. There's, nothing, there's no more sin to pay for. There's no more of any of that stuff. It really is over and done with. And so Jesus said it, the Father said it through the resurrection. And so we can stand here and sing stuff like that and, and not, not kind of have our fingers crossed behind our back. You know, like, I hope it's finished. You know, maybe it's finished. It, it really is. And we can be confident in that. And last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we were in this same chapter looking at what Peter has to say as far as the resurrection of Jesus and what that does for us in our lives. And we're just going to kind of keep going tonight. Um, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm glad that you're with us tonight. I know you could be a lot of places, and uh, sometimes, you know, a Sunday, a Sunday at five o'clock, you know, maybe this is not where uh, where everybody else is, or where maybe where you'd want to be. I'm glad that you're here, and um, to be able to to sing together and just respond to the goodness of God together, and kind of just be amazed in the finished work of Christ and what that means for us. Um, and like I said, we're going to just kind of keep going in the passage because uh, we're, in the next section from where we were last week, we, were in, we went through verses 3 through 12 last Sunday. And um, when you keep going, in verse 13, it starts with this word that says, therefore. And, uh, you know, one of those like really great Southern Baptist preacher lines that people say is like, when you, when you see therefore, you've got to see what's there for, you know. Which means, look and see what came ahead of it. And so in this passage from last week, we're talking about all these things that I've been, um, been referencing, and just the resurrection and what it means, and, and how we're born to a hope that is alive. That the resurrection of Jesus means that, that we aren't just walking around insecure and unsure about uh, who we are and what the future holds for us and who God is and how he relates to us, that all these things have been settled and done and our hope is alive because our hope is in a person. Our hope is in Jesus. And so since he's alive, our hope is alive. And so everything about life is different. And then we come to verse 13. And so that's a very poor summation. You should go read it for yourself at some point. Uh, and we come to verse 13 and Peter writes these words, Therefore, so in light of all that stuff, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." We're going to stop right there. Paul and Peter, uh, both in their writings in the New Testament, they both have this pattern that kind of stood out to me in the last couple of weeks. And 
in our community groups this past week, we went through uh, Colossians 3, where we kind of see Paul setting this up, and Peter does the same thing. And it's, it actually happens a number of times throughout the New Testament, where this talk of holiness and uh, our lifestyle, you know, and the, the choices that we make, and the way that we, um, the way that we follow the Lord and the transformation and all, all of that talk is always preceded by talk of the cross and the resurrection. So, in light of the fact that that Jesus is alive, then this is how it should impact your life, my life. Paul says that. Peter says that. And so, the Sunday after Easter, it would be easy. You know, we we go through Lent. You know, and so it's like six or seven Sundays of like, you know, heading that way, heading that way. And there's like Holy Week and or there's, you know, there's Palm Sunday, Holy Week. It's so intense. There's Good Friday, which is so dark. There's Easter Sunday, which is so whatever. And then it would be so easy to be like, okay, now we're going to start a new series on this and kind of leave that behind. Um, We're going to kind of sit in it a little bit more. We're going to extend this just a hair because... um, this issue of holiness is, is one of, is of incredible importance to us. And if you look back, if you were to look back over the years, I've probably preached these next few verses more, more times than anything else in the Bible. Um, and it's not because I really like this passage. You know? It's not because it's like, oh, I'm real familiar with it. It'll be easy to throw together a sermon. It's none of that, none of that stuff. In fact, it's really difficult to preach this passage. Because it's so in your face with what Jesus has called us to. Um, And when I say in your face, I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way. There's this opportunity in front of us. There's this reality that's in front of us. It's just so plain and clear. Uh, Sometimes it's easy to hear the Bible fussing at you. And I don't think that this is a, like, like you're in trouble, you better straighten up and act right kind of passage. I think he's saying, like, since Jesus is alive, look at what your life can look like. Look at, look at who he's created you to be. And so we're going to spend just a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to do all the talking, but you're going to do, um, you can do some talking just in your head. Um, if you want to. But look, um, look at verse 13 again. Notice the intentionality of his wording. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to leave that on the screen, but let's look at a, let me just point out a couple of things in the verse. When it talks about setting your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, remember that your hope is alive because Jesus is alive. And that kind of hope is different from a lot of hope that we tend to have in life, you know. And he says to set that hope on Jesus. To set something is very in- intentional. He also says prepare your mind for action and being sober-minded. So being in touch with reality. So get your mind r- right. Get your thinking correct. Make sure you're in touch with the reality of the truth of who Jesus is. And take your hope and you intentionally set it on Him. There's a lot of purpose here. You don't accidentally set your hope somewhere. 
Or, or do you? We accidentally, randomly, kind of whatever, like our hope, I wouldn't use the word is set on something. A lot of times, just left to ourself, it kind of just, it kind of drifts and sort of naturally lands places. Not, not really on purpose and not, nothing evil about it or sinister about it or whatever, but without an intentionality toward Christ, hope kind of drifts toward some other things. I'm going to give you some examples. Our hope can drift toward relationships. Have you ever, surely not, it hadn't happened to you. Have you ever known someone who put their hope in their boyfriend, you know, or their girlfriend, or their fiance, or their husband or wife, in their friend group, in their friends, um, in their kids, you know, that. Left to its own, our hope can naturally, can just kind of find its way toward people, if we're not careful. Um, It can find its way toward possessions. People put a lot of hope in their stuff. And we don't like to admit that, though, right? It sounds sounds so, uh, so silly and trite in first world, you know. But people do it a lot. There's a lot of hope, you know, that this, this, um, this thing I could buy or own would bring me joy or uh, significance or status or something like that. That's what I'm talking about when putting your hope on stuff. It can drift toward possessions. It can drift toward money. It can drift toward your career, your job. It can drift toward your self-perception, you know, how you, how you view yourself. So your hope could say, well, if I could only look this way or dress this way or... If I could change this about my personality, then all these kind of other things would happen. So there's this hope in, um, in your life morphing and changing into some sort of way, and then that's going to bring a flood of all this other stuff. Our hope can drift toward achievements. You know, we have a lot of college students here, some high school students. Um, graduating from college or whatever, like that's, a, that's an amazing goal, and I hope that you achieve it, but your hope for your life is not found in that piece of paper. And ask anyone here that's ever graduated from anything, it's kind of anticlimactic. And you're like, what? You know? Don't put your hope in your achievements. Hope can drift toward approval of other people, you know? There's so many people who are walking around, and their biggest load of baggage in their life is the fact that they never felt like their mom or dad approved of them, you know? And so you're striving all the time just to get anybody else to think that you're. You're good or worth it or cool or whatever it is. And, and then, like, so that's your hope. If I can just get approval from people or from my parents or from, you know, like, whatever, then life will be different. Our hope can drift toward uh, comparing ourselves to other people, you know. We say, well, if only I could be as good at this, as this person at this thing or at least I'm not as bad as this person at this thing. Your hope can drift toward your own skills and abilities and gifts. That kind of self-reliance that comes up, you know, where it's, it's like, well, my hope isn't, isn't in anything else. My hope is in myself because I just got to dig my heels in and work a little harder because I'm pretty awesome and I can get it done, you know. Your hope can drift toward your circumstances changing, you know, where you're like, man, my whole life is going to get better whenever this, whenever this changes about whatever. Whatever the next thing is, whatever the next thing, the next stage of life, the next, um, 
the next thing that you're saving up to buy, the next job, the next, uh, the next kid, I don't know, the next whatever. Like everything is just like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Left to its own, hope will drift and will land on something or someone, some idea, some concept, something, whatever. And Peter is saying here, that is not what you were made for. And that is not what Jesus died for. That is not God's plan for your life. Jesus is alive. Your hope is alive. Your hope is secure. That you have this future that is untouchable. And this present is now impacted by that. Therefore, prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded and you set your hope where it belongs. Which is on Jesus. If he had stopped right there, it would, it would certainly be, it would be great. It would be amazing. But I'm so glad that he didn't. Because that's one of those things that sounds great. You know, like it sounds like that's a great sermon. Like you put your hope in Christ and this and this and this and this. And, this, and then you pray and then you go and the people are driving away being like, I don't know what that was. I was inspired, but I don't know how to do that. You know. So Peter, just he, he really gives us some really, really helpful guidance. And so how do you do that? Like, how do you prepare your mind for action? How, how is there intentionality there? How do you set your, your hope on the one who is alive and therefore you are alive? Like, how do you do that? And he kind of gives us two things that are worth noting. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So he gives us two very helpful ideas in moving forward. So if you're, if you're in a place where you don't want to live your life as though the resurrection didn't happen, not just, not just the cross, like not, just the, not just Good Friday, but also Easter Sunday, is like there's this, one, there's this amazing group of events that we can think of as this one thing. And if you don't want to live as if that didn't actually happen, you know, and you're kind of ready, and you want to prepare your mind for action, and you want to set your hope where it belongs, well, listen, listen to what Peter has to say. He gives us two ideas. One is, don't do this, and the other one is, do this. How helpful is that? I love that. It's like, here's what you don't need to do, and here's what you do need to do. So, Stick to it. It'll all be okay. So what does he say to not do? Don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Because you want to be an obedient child. And he talks about that later on in the, in the, the text. So we might, we might keep going next week. We'll see. I'm crazy. We'll see. He says, as like an obedient child, don't conform... To the passions of your former ignorance. So if the first, like if you want to go forward and it's filled with these two ideas, and one of them is like don't conform to that stuff, well then you really need to sit down and think about what does that even mean? What are are the passions of my former ignorance? Well, let let me give some suggestions. What were you, what were you and I and all of us who are Christians, what were we ignorant about? Before, um, 
before we came in touch with the truth of God? What were we ignorant about? We were ignorant about a couple of things. We were ignorant about who God is. Like, and when I say ignorant, I mean like we literally just didn't know. We don't know who he is, what he's like. So he gave us a Bible. He's given us a history of transformed lives. If you're a Christian, he gave you someone that explained this to you as a gift. The gospel came to you. Um, and as I said a few weeks ago, a quote I heard recently, it came to you on its way to someone else. That's what the gospel does. So you're ignorant about God before Christ. You're ignorant about yourself before Christ. So before, before realizing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, kind of thought you were okay. Just like, well, you know, I'm all right. world's kind of messed up, whatever. That's, that's fine. Then you start to hear the truth of the gospel and you realize that like, this world was broken by sin and you're a part of the problem and God himself came to pay the price for you being the problem and switch places with you so you didn't have to be the problem anymore. He became the problem. And now you get to live forever with him, free from being the problem. And he conquered the problem. And so your future forever is without that problem. There will be no sin, whatever. And so we're ignorant about God and what he's like. We're ignorant about ourselves, that we were sinners in need of a redeemer to come and save us. We're ignorant about other people because we're all in the same boat together. And so that's the, that's the root of all the problems in the world. And so we're kind of all in this, you know. And we're ignorant about the world itself. You know, we're ignorant of all these kinds of things. There's just, we were on the wrong side of the truth. We were in this lies, this group of lies. And they all stem from who is God? Who am I? Who are we, and what does all that have to do with each other? How does it work? And so you might even want to just put it all under this, this big umbrella of just the kingdom of God. We were ignorant about the kingdom of God. We just thought that the kingdom of this world is all that we knew. And in the kingdom of this world, you do what you want. You look out for yourself. In the kingdom of this world, this life is all there is to it, so you better... Have as much fun as you can. Make as much money as you can. Do whatever you want because that is it. Kingdom of God, no, this stuff goes on forever. This is just temporary. This is just for now. So our former ignorance, like I think what he's saying is like, remember what it was like to not know Christ. And he says that, that, these, that this ignorance gave birth to all these passions. That in light of not knowing all that stuff about God and the kingdom of God, then when you're focused on the kingdom of the world, suddenly you're passionate about all these like things. Let me read you a passage that our community groups talked about this past week. You don't need to turn to it. But it's in Colossians 3, it's verses 5 through 9. Paul lists some of these passions. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. So that ignorance led to us being passionate about certain things. And there are things that we see in our world all around us. It's all that. It's, it's the greed. It's the power. You know, it's, it's all this, this sexual sin and pride and, and all these kinds of things that are out there. And I'm not saying that the world is completely like just like this terrible, like post-apocalyptic movie like level like of horribleness. There's a lot of great, beautiful things in our world. And all of those things are shadows of the goodness of God because all these people are made in God's image. And so there's this goodness that's there, but it's broken and it's bent. And so all of this basically to say... When Peter says, don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance, that word conform, it also means model. Saying don't model your life after all those things that were a part of life when you walked in ignorance. When you just didn't, when you just didn't know. Saying don't conform to the patterns of this world, of the kingdoms of this world. Don't model your life after that. Don't pattern your life after that. Don't live as though you don't know any differently now. And so earlier when I said that this is like a difficult message to preach, it's because it's a difficult message to internalize for me. Because I think that that's a difficult thing. Because there are things about our former ignorance that still have this weird appeal. You know, it's this, it's this default sometimes. You know, like, you don't even have to try to do some of that stuff. Like, it says, like, don't lie to each other. You know, it's like, it's like don't lie to each other. That's not who you are anymore, you know? It's like, why is it, why, then why do, like, simple little, like, fibs, you know? Why is that still something that I, that I have to fight? Like, I'm a grown man. I've walked with the Lord a long time. Why is that still, why has that completely lost its appeal to me? Maybe you find yourself in lists like that and those kinds of things and, the thing is, this is a timeless teaching. You won't, really, you won't really see a time when this won't need to be taught. Because the passions of our former ignorance, they have a, that appeal. It's being purged out of us, but it's still kind of there. And again, if left to our own, we'll drift toward conforming to that stuff. We'll become greedy and prideful and self-reliant and thinking that we're awesome, or thinking that we're you know, super terrible. and um, We give in to lustful thoughts, and we give in to uh, wanting to lie to people or correct, uh, keep our, per- our perceptions you know, correct with other people, and all these kinds of things that are there that have nothing to do with, with who we are now. It's still very tempting. And so Peter gets out ahead of that a little bit, and he says, as obedient children... Don't model your life. Don't conform to the, to the passions of your former ignorance. And so it'd be easy to walk out with just a list of things. Okay, so don't do this and this and this and this. And I'm like, fine. It says, don't, don't conform to that. Here's what you do conform to. Verse 15. But... 
As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So there's this, there's this, this counter that's given. He's just been talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that that brings and how everything is different now. So, so, so how do you live your everyday life? Well, you don't conform to that old stuff. You do conform to this new stuff. You don't conform to the passions of your former ignorance. You do conform, you do model your life after the holy God of the universe. You know, no big deal, right? Easy. That's really what makes this a hard thing to teach and internalize and practice. If you want to give me a list of things to not do, like, okay, that's fine. I can not do those things. I can work hard and not do them. I mean, I won't succeed all the time, but I can, you know, I can wrap my mind around that. This is the hard part. Be holy in all your conduct. What does that even mean? Well, holiness is, um, it's really hard to understand thoroughly. But we are capable of understanding it. Uh, we're capable of understanding it maybe a little bit more than sometimes we like to admit. It's easy to just dismiss it. Be like, well, we'll never understand it, so I shouldn't even try. Yet the Bible says that that's what we're supposed to be. And so kind of a, a working understanding that we've used in the last several years here at the ring is, is holiness, to think of it as, as being separated from sin and being devoted to the glory of God. The Sabbath day was holy. It was set apart from the other days and it was devoted to uh, the worship of God in very specific ways. That the Bible is set apart from other books and is devoted to the story of God being communicated. And so God being holy, there's no, he has never, there's no sin ever with him. And so there's no strange motive, there's no, um, there's no impurity that's there, he's incapable of making a mistake, he's limitless in all, in all ways, so he's separate from everything else. And so there, there is a call on our lives to be separate. That we live in the kingdom of God, we don't live in the kingdom of the world. However, we live on a planet where both of those are kind of overlapping each other and we've got to figure that out. However, there is a calling to be separate. And separate from sin is really, like that's, a, that's tied into this teaching specifically. That here you and I are, living our lives... On a Tuesday afternoon, you're called to be holy. That your Tuesday is called to be sinless and devoted to God's glory. Whether you're at work or at school or at home or whatever it is that you're doing, that's the calling of your life on a Tuesday afternoon. That every minute of every day, that's, that's what life looks like. That in view of the resurrection of Jesus and our hope being alive, that that is... The opportunity that God is laying in front of us. He's not fussing at us. Saying, come on guys, get your act straight. He's saying, look at what your life can look like. Such a difference. This is a passage that can beat you down. It can beat you over the head. Or, it can encourage you. It can challenge you. It can warn you. It can convict you. It can lift you. And I really think that's what Peter is going for here. Be holy in all of your conduct. 
Jesus is our model for this. In other words, don't conform your life to, to someone who doesn't know who Jesus is. Conform your life to Jesus himself. And here's the heartbreaker for me. Is that so often we don't really care, you know. And I don't mean that as an indictment. That's not me like pointing or whatever. This is this is like pastoral concern in as from like in the boat together. You know, this is not me saying like I'm, I got this figured out, guys. You don't need to figure it out too. I think that we, in general, as Christians, don't live with a deep conviction of like this is the life that I want to live all the time think that we know that we should and sometimes we don't really know what to do with the fact that we really we really don't want to you know what do you do when you don't desire this really what do you do when you're okay with mediocrity let's say what do you do when the when the honest state of your life is is kind of flipped and there's more conforming to the patterns of your former ignorance than there is conforming to the image of God and holiness. And what do you do when you really just don't give a rip about that? You know, That's the hard part. Because in times when I'm ready, like I'm, I'm there, I'm ready, like I, that's what I want, and I'm fighting for it, and, and, I, and I'm in it, and, and everything's good, like I can, I can work with that. What's difficult is when my mind gets to a place where I just don't really care that much. And when I can rattle off a list of 12 other things that have my attention, that cannot wait, that I have to devote myself to, and I don't have the energy or the time or the whatever to pursue holiness, you know, it's so, it sounds so exhausting. And when I'm in that kind of situation, that's, that's when I really, that's what kind of scares me is because I don't know how to pull myself out of that. And I don't have like a magic solution for you, Okay. So one thing I would really like to do is just kind of offer, if, if you're there or have been there or about to be there, you seem to know that, that you're not by yourself. And that this is not a passage that's supposed to beat you down. I think that, that scriptures, like God uses it to draw us out. To show us the beauty. Not to just keep us in line. Now there are times when he keeps us in line. That there's a discipline that comes there from the Lord, but discipline coming from disciple, which means learner, and so it's always teaching us and conforming us. Let me tell you two things. Well, let me read you the next part of the passage. That sort of show us two things that are important to keep in mind. Look at 17. If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, Not fear like being scared of God, but this healthy desire to please your Father. Because you're an obedient child. And obedient children, they, they love it when their Father is pleased with them. And so what he's saying is, you need to conduct yourself with that kind of adoration and devotion to the Father. Like you, 
you want to please him through this time. And look, uh, verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. To those who don't desire holiness, you need to know, be reminded of, this is what Jesus died for. It's this important. And that's, you can, you can, that can be a source of guilt, you know? You ever heard people in the church do that sometimes? You're like, well, I mean, Jesus didn't complain about that when he's dying on the cross for your sins, did he? Like, oh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it was really difficult. Maybe that was really hard. Jesus decided in his mind that it was worth it. That you and I, being able to live free from that inherited stuff, free from the passions of our former ignorance, to be free from that, to be able to be molded and shaped over time into his own image, to learn to live sinless lives that are devoted to his glory on a Tuesday afternoon. He said, you know what, that's worth it. Why? Because that's what we were made to do. And so, when you just don't really care, be, just remind yourself of the magnitude. That this is how important it is. It's Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth, and dying for it. Kind of important. And the second thing, he goes on to say, verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This has always been God's plan for your life. It's always been his plan for your life. That as a Christian, this is why he made you. It's why he made me. To be like in free and open Communion with Him forever. And so that's, that's what's before us. And so when we don't desire holiness or whatever our hang-ups are with this pursuit, it's beneficial to remind our, just to remind ourselves of the big story and the personal story. That Jesus died so that you could live this kind of life Forever. Not like wait till you get to heaven now and forever. And so what do you what do you do with it? If someone were to come to me and they were to say, uh, hey, can we go have coffee? Because I want to talk about how do I how do I not conform to the patterns of my former ignorance and start to pursue holiness? I want to talk about it. I would be thrilled to have that conversation. And not so I could teach you, that person, how to do it, but through dialogue about it, I learned how to do it better myself. That's the beauty of like, community, right? So I would love for that to happen. 
And if that were to happen, the first thing we would do is I would say, okay, I want you to tell me where this came from. Where did this start for you? Because I want to know what's, what's the motive, what's driving you, like how did this, you know, make sure that this, this isn't a, I, just, I need some more rules to follow because my life's kind of crazy. Or, you know, anything weird in there. Once we kind of got past that, here's, here's what I would do. And so um, if you want to do this, maybe it would be helpful, maybe it wouldn't. But I love practical things. So let me tell you a practical thing. I would sit down with this person and we would categorize everything in life. We would literally take a blank sheet of paper and just make, like, make a list or like a graph or a pie chart. I don't know, whatever you want to do. We would map out everything that you can do in life. So um, it could be, let's say this person is married with kids, has a job, or something like that. So there would be like marriage would be over here, and like kid, kid, kid would be over here, and in-laws would be here, you know, one set of your parents, their parents, whatever, uh, would be here. Let's say there's a job that's over here. Let's say that um, finances are over here. Church is over here. Community group is over here. Personal time with the Lord is over here. Um, coworkers are over here. Neighbors are over here. You know what I mean? Just like, let's just break everything up in as, in as many categories as possible. To a point, it's overwhelming that your life has this many moving parts to it. And that would kind of be the goal. Uh, is let me just totally freak you out about this. So go home. Freak yourself out. Do that. Um, and then we would look at this list. And I would just kind of like, so what do you think? What do you think about wanting to pursue holiness when you think about all of these things conforming to the holiness of God? And probably this person would say, it's pretty intimidating. I would say, okay, good. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. That is a lot of times what keeps people from it. Because it seems like so much work. But yet the path forward from there, I wouldn't just say, okay, well, here's your sheet of paper with your life. Go figure it out. What I would say is you need to take this home with you and you need to just start simply asking Jesus for guidance. You sit down with this, this, this uh, whatever map of your life and you start to pray and you just ask Him for help. Maybe you go one component at a time and you ask Him, how am I conforming to the patterns of my former ignorance in this? And what would holiness look like? And so maybe you have this thing, maybe you draw a circle around it. Maybe on one side you list what, uh, there's a list of like ways you're conforming to patter, patterns of former ignorance. And the other side would be like, what would sinlessness look like? And then you're looking at basically this Bible verse mapped out in the area of your marriage or, or work or money or whatever. And as you're praying, you're just asking, just show me. The next thing you know, Jesus is like busting your chops about something. And then maybe in something else, maybe he's encouraging you about something. And so there's this interaction there. And probably I would encourage this person, like, hey, you're going to feel like an insane, it's just like, just, you're just going to think you're so weird when you're asking him for help. And you feel like he's like, it's like kind of your voice in your head, but maybe kind of not. And not just write it down. Just don't even worry about it. Just write it down. Believe that Jesus will speak to you. He does. Just write it down. Just trust. And then you look at what's in front of you and say, does this sound like Jesus? And you work your way through it. Maybe you just pick one thing at a time, or maybe you do a bunch of them and systematically go through it. Or maybe you just say, Lord, there's a lot of things on this list. Where do you want me to start? 
And you know what Jesus probably will not tell you? He will probably not say, you need to do all these full on all at the same time. He will probably say, how about we start with work? How about we start with uh, how you are with your coworkers at work? That's probably a good place to, good place to start. Or maybe he'll say, let's start with the marriage. Or maybe he'll say, let's start with, let's start with, with finances. Then you're looking at this thing of your life and you ask him for help and you're, you're just drawn to this one thing. Then maybe he just wants you to start with one thing. Do you think that God is gracious enough to not overwhelm you with this stuff? Do you think that he's like maybe cooler than we think he is sometimes? Maybe he's like, instead of the 90,000 things, let's just start with the one thing. And you be faithful with the one thing. Let's work on that. And so that's the conversation I would have with this person. Ask Jesus for a starting point. Take the end of Psalm 139 where he says, uh, Search me, try me, test me, lead me. Take that prayer, pray it about these different parts of your life, and really listen to him. He'll show you where there are patterns of your former ignorance that you're conforming to. He'll also show you what holiness looks like. And if you don't believe it's possible for you to live a life that is separate from sin and devoted to God's glory, then you need to rethink what you think Jesus really did on the cross and what the Father did on Easter Sunday. And you really need to rethink what it is finished means. So if you're in a place and you're like, I'm, I'm tired of living this, this way, you know, maybe this is helpful. But you know one of my biggest fears in going through this stuff? One is, like, is talking too long, so I'm about to be done. The other is, uh, is that you leave feeling terrible about yourself. Now I know that, that there's a difference between guilt and conviction. I pray for conviction with all of us. I don't pray for guilt. And so if you're sitting there and you're making up a list of like what, all the reasons why you're the worst person ever, that's probably not coming from the Lord. Guilt leads to death. It's from that former ignorance. Conviction is from the Lord, and it leads to life. And so if you're feeling convicted, you know what a part of conviction is? Like you, you feel the heaviness of it, and you're determined to walk out of it. And so if that's where you are, in light of the fact that Jesus is alive and you are ready to set your hope on him, you know how you do that day in, day out? Don't conform to that old stuff. Do conform to his life. And you know where your hope is? is it doesn't drift toward this other stuff. It's setting on Jesus day in, day out, day in, day out. And so I hope that you are encouraged by this. I hope that, hope that we're able to see the beautiful like, life that God offers to us. And I hope that there is a determination in us to not live as though the resurrection didn't really happen. As if Jesus didn't really die and if, as if it's really not finished. That we don't leave Easter weekend there and just come back around to it the next year. But there's a part of us that's every day that, that's just like, man, Jesus is alive and that means today? I changed everything about today. I can't encourage you anymore. That's all, that's all I got. But Jesus will keep encouraging us. And so what we typically do on Sundays is, like, I do this thing, and then we sing a little bit. And I've said it before, I feel like the songs, 
are, are a way of packing dirt in on seeds that God has planted so that nothing can come in and dig them out, you know. And so as we sing, maybe these prayers will be something that's igniting for us. And uh, maybe that determination will be a part of it. And so let's stand together as the band comes back. I want to pray for us and kind of launch us into these last few songs. God, it's a scary thing to, um, to be searched and tried and tested by anyone. <laughs> but honestly, sometimes it's difficult for us to really want that from you as well. Which I know it doesn't make any sense uh, because you're gracious and compassionate and slow to, a, uh, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Like we, All that is true. Yet we sometimes lose sight of it. I mean, none of us, as Christians, I mean, none of us desire to conform to life before we met you. There's, none of us would would say that. That's not that's not who we are anymore. We know it, but it is a struggle sometimes to look at that call to be holy in all of our conduct. Like it's so inclusive. <laughs> It's so hard uh, to know that that's the life you lay before us and then to really believe it's possible. And the truth is, it is impossible if you hadn't really died for us. It's impossible if, Father, you hadn't raised your son from the dead. It's impossible if it's not really finished. But since it is finished, that changes everything. So God, I pray that you've used the scriptures to stir things in us. That that guilt would have no place here, but that conviction would be heavy and and true and drive us forward. That we would not be satisfied with a life that in any way even just resembles what it was like to not know you. We thank you that you freed us and you brought us into your kingdom and uh, that everything we desire to be, that holiness in every area of life is, uh, it's real and it's right before us. I thank you for a text like this, which doesn't, it really doesn't beat us down. It draws us out. And maybe as we sing, um, maybe that could be a good thing for us. And so we know you've been moving all day and during this time. Pray that you would continue in our closing moments together.